This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 121. When we closed on that first one, immediately we negotiated and wanted a contract, you know, off market on the two adjacent ones. And so we ended up getting three cabins and a cul-de-sac at the end of the road on five private acres, you know, and it just worked out really cool that way. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. Tony, I have some news. I'm not sure if it's going to be good or bad. <laughs> What's going on? Do I need to sit down so, for this news? Yeah, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I have so my self-storage facility I have under contract. I did a phase one environmental study, and it's recommended to go into a phase two environmental study. So after the phase two, they'll find out if there's environmental issues and if they need to be remediated. So I spent the whole weekend talking with other investors as to, okay, what's your opinion? What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. Because I have to shell out. I paid 3000 for the phase one and now I'll have to pay another, I think it's 8000 the quote for the phase two. So if I pay this out and there's environmental issues, I'm probably going to lose all that money <laughs> and not get anything out of it. So I think what I'm going to do is what the consensus is from most of the other investors is that if there are environmental issues, even if the owner agrees to clean them up and take care of it, still walk away from the deal. They don't want to touch anything that has had a history of environmental issues. Second thing is that I could ask the buyer to pay or the seller to pay for the phase two. So that's what I'm working on right now is seeing if they will actually pay for it. Because if our deal falls apart, they're still going to, any other knowledgeable investor will ask to, to do an environmental study. So they'll need to have it done. So at least they'd have it in hand already. So I don't know. But yeah, that's what I'm uh, struggling with. And that's why I have only slept a couple hours every night, keeping me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> These environmental studies yeah, are haunting your dreams. <laughs> So what's new with you, Tony? Yeah, well, I hope you figure that out. I'm sure I'm sure it'll work out for the best. What's new with me? So we, we have a, a property in Joshua Tree. This was supposed to be our first flip, like our first Joshua Tree flip, where we bought it solely with the purpose of flipping it. And uh, it should be done, hopefully, like this week. This is the one you're rehabbing, right? Yeah. So we have two rehabs. One's going to be a hold for sure. We know that. But the second one was where we bought specifically with the purpose of flipping it. But I walked it yesterday and I like this property so much now that it's done. We're like debating on if we should actually sell it or not. Because I've, I've mentioned this before, but like I think one of the things we're going to start like testing out is just trying to just trying to see if there's an appetite for turnkey Airbnbs and like the different markets we invest in. And um, this one's going to be a great kind of case study to, uh, I guess, see if we're right. But man, it's just such a nice place. Like it would fit so well in our portfolio. So. I don't know. I guess once it's all said and done this week, we'll, we'll decide if we're going to list it or not. And I think that's an awesome thing is that you have multiple exit strategies as to where to take this property. So you, you can hold it, you can sell it. So that that's awesome that it will work both ways for you. I hope so. I hope so. And speaking of multiple exit strategies, today's guest, I think, did a great job of exemplifying that. You like that transition? That was a good one. Yeah, I did. That was great. <laughs> Before you make your transition, though, I'm going to put a pin in it because I have to give a shout out. I met an investor 
at the Fixated on Real Estate conference met him. Jay, he had actually, an episode had released just Wednesday before the conference, and we played his uh, voicemail on the show. So it was so cool. He had just been on the episode, and then then I got to meet him. So really cool. Okay, go ahead. I'm so sorry to interrupt that perfect transition. (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) <laughs> so today's guest, his name's Kel. Kel and I actually connected on Facebook, I think. He and I were in some of the the same like short-term rental related Facebook groups. And he and I had been chatting before we even bought his first one. He was a, a listener of the show, but he just took massive, massive action. This guy, has he's at 10 units after a year and a half of investing. So he just gives like a really cool breakdown of how he started off in the long-term rental space with small multifamily made the transition into buying cabins and didn't buy one, but bought three to begin with. So he's just really, really crushing it in that space. And his story talks about how he made that transition, but he also talks about how he balances self-managing this portfolio of 10 units while also having a very busy W2, having a wife, having three kids, just so many really good stories and lessons, I think, from his story today. Yeah. And I think that a big thing that we didn't dive too much into, and we probably should have more, was that He's prepared himself to become a real estate investor. He's been frugal all his life. He's saved his money. He has different financing options. So I think that's an important piece. Even if you're not ready to start investing now, get your finances in order and be good with managing your money because it really will set you up for success getting into real estate investing. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. What does financial freedom mean to you? More time with your family and friends? The ability to take that globe-trotting trip? Or do you just want to sleep in until 10 a.m. every day with no boss to answer to? Real estate is your gateway to financial freedom, but rent-ready property management software is what keeps your free time actually free. From seamless online rent collection to custom applications, property marketing tools, and repair request tracking, RentReady allows your portfolio to run on autopilot. The best part is you can manage all your rentals right from your cell phone. And that's why RentReady is my favorite property management app around. I use it for all my rentals. Whether you've got one or a dozen doors, RentReady helps you streamline how you manage your rental properties to create a life you love in 2024. Now, Rent Ready is already included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com. And use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1.
You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Okay, let's bring Cal onto the show. Cal, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you start with telling everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Sure. I'm 37 years old. I grew up actually uh, in the Northeast, uh, New Hampshire. So I know that the feeling of the winter, Ashley, I feel your pain. But uh, I moved down to South Florida when I was 18 for college and uh, went to University of Miami, uh, studied engineering. And when I was graduating, I realized at that time that I didn't want to do any design engineering. That really wasn't my passion. And I, I had started kind of taking an interest in just investing in general and a little specifically with real estate. And so actually my senior year, I had started interning with a, a large commercial real estate investment firm. And after I graduated, I, I went full time with them. I worked for a couple of years as a commercial real estate broker and sold multifamily properties down in South Florida. And it was good experience, just terrible timing. This was 2006 to 2008. And so come 2008, when things started drying up, I jumped ship on that. I didn't really love the, the broker part of it. I liked the education part, but not being a broker. And so I jumped ship and, you know, I didn't really do anything with the knowledge at that time. I think I was just still too young and just more focused on, I need to make money, get a career type thing. And so I started working in construction management, which is what I've been doing for the past 13 years. And so that's what I do now still um, as a senior project manager. And I'm married, three kids. And so about a year and a half ago, I, I kind of just had a mental, a mental switch go off that, you know what, I need to start working for myself and, and building wealth for myself and my family and, and not just for somebody else. And so I, I made that decision really in January, 2020. I just said, you know, this is, I got to pick something. I'm going to start investing, start building wealth. And so I chose real estate and I just really jumped, jumped all in. I just, you know, that's when I started devouring podcasts, bigger pockets, reading everything I could possibly find. I mean, analyzing deals daily, walking the market, doing all the stuff that Brandon, you know, Brandon Turner recommends, you know, to get your first deal in 90 days. Right. And lo and behold, it works. I literally did that. I picked the market. I walked it, pushing a baby in a stroller, you know, walked every street and put in offers, got one accepted. And we started off on the journey that way. So it's been a fast journey, a bunch of highs and lows. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of just cruising along since. 
Kale, when you said that you had a mental switch, at first I thought you said you were going to have a mental breakdown. I'm gonna, <laughs> oh, yeah, I have those. <laughs> I have those. I can relate. We'll do that but, you know, you. yours, yeah, right. yours is way more positive. <laughs> well, you know, maybe it, it probably was more of a mental breakdown. <laughs> Quarter life crisis, midlife yeah, crisis, yeah. whatever you want to yeah. call it. <laughs> yeah. This is great. This is awesome. And I'm excited to dive more into your story. But can you just give us uh, just a snapshot of what your portfolio looks like today? Yeah. So right now I have 10 units total. I have five long-term rentals, which one is a one is a single family home. Three are part of a quadplex. And one, I guess I'm calling it a unit, but uh, you know, it's actually our primary, but we house hack as well. And then we have five short-term rentals, which four are cabins in the Smoky Mountains. And one is one unit of that quadplex uh, that we converted to a short-term rental. So let's like break this down a little bit. All right. So, well, first of all, congratulations on, on the growth, right? Because you're, you're 1.5 years into this and you're at 10 units, which is fantastic, right? So I, I think that speaks volumes of like the action taker that you are. And, and like, just to give the listeners some backstory, like Kale and I were in like a, some of the same Facebook groups around short-term rentals. And I think we had spoken, Kale, before you even got your first one, if I re- recall correctly, right? And then I, I think you started posting about like, hey, I got my first one. And then like a couple months later, <laughs> hey, I got my second one. And then I got my third. And, now, and, and I was like, all right, we got to get this guy on the podcast. We can share a story. So just kudos to you for taking massive action, but kind of walk us through that journey, right? So that, that very first deal, kind of what was it? And what was it about that deal that made you say, okay, this is the right thing for me? Yeah. So the first deal was a, a local one. I didn't have the the nerves to try the out of state right away, you know, which I think everybody kind of has, or most people have that, but you know, I'd like to dispel that, that myth. Honestly, the, the out of state ones are so much easier to manage than the, the ones 20 minutes down the road. So <laughs> it was actually a, a quadplex about a mile or so from the beach. You know, I live in Palm beach County, Florida. And so we, I picked a, a market that was kind of, like I said, it was close by and it was a uh, kind of like a artsy beachy type community lots of small multifamily uh, because I didn't, I didn't want to do single family. I knew that I wanted to at least do small multifamily. And the initial plan was scale it into larger multifamily and, and grow it that way. And so I picked that market, did all the research. Like I said, walked the market, scoured Zillow and MLS daily, and just started submitting offers. And I mean, I don't know how many offers I submitted. They all got rejected. And this one got rejected actually the first time. And then I kind of circled back a month or so later and gave him an offer again, the same thing. And this time they accepted it. And so we got it under contract. So it's a quadplex. It's basically like two duplexes actually on the same lot. And it's a cool building. It's, it's old. It's a hundred years old, um, which most of the properties in this area are. And so it's uh, two, one bedrooms, a two bedroom and a studio unit. And uh, yeah, that's the first deal. So I don't want this to get lost in the listeners, but you said that you submitted an offer initially on this first investment and it got rejected for whatever reason, but you followed up with them a month later and lo and behold, it got accepted. There's a lesson to be learned there about consistency, about persistence, and just really knowing that just because your first offer is a no 
that doesn't mean that it's always going to be no, because you never know what's going to happen with that other person who had that property under contract. Kale, do you know what the story was? Like, did they have another offer and, and that person didn't perform or did it just end up sitting longer than they wanted it to? Like, why did they reject you initially and then accept your offer after? Yeah. So when I first submitted the offer, it was relatively new on the market. And so I think, you know, they were just kind of holding out for, for something better, which, you know, didn't come along. And, you know, this was April, I think, 2020. So this was like right when the, the pandemic came, like crashing down, you know, so I think that had a lot to do with it as well. They were an out-of-state owner, older, and, you know, they were just trying to you know, free up some of their, their portfolio. And so uh, I think a timing had a lot to do with it. And I circled back and this was, uh, I forget where exactly I'd heard that tip, but I, I, it was from, you know, either a podcast or a book where it was, you know, hey, you know, don't just submit and forget, keep circling back. So I, that's what I did. I, that was actually me, Kale. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you got that from me. <laughs> Hey, it might have been. You're, you get a lot of credit in this one. <laughs> no, no, no. But I love hearing that, man. And, and like I said, it, it's something that, that happens often, right? You hear a lot of investors say that, that. I feel like I've heard Brandon say this on the other podcast, too, is that he'll submit another offer for the exact same amount. Like everything's exactly the same, but he just puts it in again, you know, and just kind of getting in front of people. It, it kind of jogs your memory. So you, you have this fourplex, you get this in the middle of the pandemic, right? Which is, again, I think shows how much courage you have as an investor to kind of start investing in such an uncertain time. How much time after that first investment do you roll onto the, to the second one? So we closed on the fourplex in June of 2020. And then the next one, which was the first cabin in the Smokies, we closed on in February. So it was a decent amount of time. And I guess the reason is I kind of had a little bit of a shiny object syndrome and uh, started just looking into a lot of different things. I mean, I saw the cash flow from this and, you know, it was good, but I just started thinking of, man, it's going to take a lot to get me to where I want to be in terms of the, the numbers. And so I started looking at different things that had better returns like I really started heavily looking into residential assisted living. I mean, I even went out to a seminar in Phoenix with uh, Gene Garino's team for the residential assisted living and got really interested in that. And, and I just, I kind of got a little bit intimidated by it, honestly, just because of the business aspect of it more so than the real estate. I still really like the idea. I hope to get into it in, in the future. But so, yeah, I just kind of just was looking at a bunch of different things and, and I just wasn't sure what direction to go. And then the serendipity happened when I heard your podcast, Tony. <laughs> so I actually do get credit for that one. Right? <laughs> you do get, you do get credit. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was it about the short term rental space that kind of piqued your interest? Like, I guess let me frame it this way, right? Like a lot of people, I think, understand that short term rentals typically are going to generate more revenue than a traditional long-term rental. Like there aren't many people that argue that, but what I think shies a lot of people away from stepping into the short-term rental space is that it definitely is more management intensive than a traditional long-term rental. So what were you afraid about this really management intensive asset class. And now you're finally going out of state, right? This is long distance. So what were your thoughts around some of those obstacles and how did you push past those? Honestly, this, this first one, this uh, quadplex, the first few months of having it was a heck of a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. We had some troubled tenants and just a lot of challenges. And I was like, man, if this is what the long-term rentals is like, I don't know if I want to <laughs> you know, be in this. And when we bought this too, I kind of had the long-term plan if I wanted to make it into Airbnb. So I kind of had the, the short-term rental thing in the back of my mind. And then, yeah, when I heard your podcast talking about the Smokies and the cabins out there, 
from a personal standpoint, I was like, oh man, like I'd love to have a cabin out in the mountains. Like that's always, you know, it's like a dream of a lot of people. Right. And if I can have something that like that and it's generating great returns, I mean, man, this sounds, this sounds awesome. And, you know, just the description you were given, the numbers, I was like, geez, this, this sounds too good to be true almost really. And yeah, I didn't even know where the Smoky Mountains were. (laughs) (laughs) And so literally, literally after the podcast, I I popped open Google maps on my phone and I'm like, ah, you know, it's only like 14 hour drive away. And this is like the week before Thanksgiving. And I had already scheduled that week off from work and we didn't have plans though. And so you know, I talked to my wife. I was like, Hey, uh, you want to take a trip to the mountains next week? <laughs> and so we, we packed up, we literally packed up a minivan packed to the brim, seven people and luggage and drove out to the, the smoky mountains and hooked up with, uh, the realtor that we used through the, the bigger pockets forum on the way up and, uh, scoped out properties, met with the realtor and just really got a feel for the area. And when we came back, I was hooked on the market and the cabins. But I was definitely still had a lot of mental hurdles to overcome because, I mean, number one, the prices are way higher than anything else I've looked at. And the competition is crazy out there, you know, as you know, Tony. And just the thought of offering over asking, just for me, that's like just a big mental hurdle. Like I, I'm Mr. Frugal. <laughs> <laughs> so just the thought of paying more than somebody's asking just hurts me. Well, Kale, I just want to highlight one thing that you said there, and it was that you heard Tony talk about this market and his success there. The U.S. is huge. There are so many neighborhoods. There are so many cities. It's overwhelming for someone who wants to invest out of state as to where to even look, where to even start. And I love that you took an investor that is having success in a market and you went and you analyzed that yourself. For our listeners, for our rookie investors, look where other people are having success and then analyze from there. Use that as your starting point. Don't invest somewhere just because somebody else is investing there, but at least you can start analyzing that market and see if it fits for you instead of taking a whole map of the U.S. and say, okay, I'm going to start on the East Coast and analyze every city until I get to the West Coast. So I think that's awesome that you did that because that was almost like a shortcut to you that you didn't have to go and pull up a map like, okay, I'm going to highlight all of the great short-term rental markets that have different activities and different things to do. And you just focused on that one, analyze it, and it it worked for you. So let me make one comment on that, because I I think it's a really good point that you made. I think the other side to that coin is that I'm sure you get this too, right? People come to me and say, what market should I invest in? And they just kind of like drop that question there. And it's like, it's such a personal decision or like such a, a decision that's unique to your own circumstances that I could never tell Ashley or Kale, like what's the best market for them to invest in. So your point of using it as the starting point, I think is really good. But for all the rookies that are listening, like you guys can't look to someone else to tell you what's the best market for you to invest in. Like you still have to do some of the homework yourself, but success does leave clues. And if you see other people having success in those markets, it shows that it might be a good starting point for you. So just on my mind, because I get that question all the time. I'm sure you do too. So I wanted to share that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How you clarified that. Kale, you said that you got your wife to pack up and and drive to the Smoky Mountains. How did you get her interested in real estate investing from the beginning? Well, it's still a work in progress, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, I mean, we get our hands full with the, the family and the, the W-2 and, and everything. And she's still starting to get involved and, and starting to help out with the, the social media part more so because I'm really bad with that. Like, I'm big into, like, the Facebook forums for those specific items. But when it comes to, like, Instagram and stuff like that, I'm, I'm like, non-existent. So she's starting to get involved with that um, and helping out in that aspect. And she's not full in yet, but uh, she's starting to get there. Yeah, but I think the thing is, is that she's supportive of you. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was willing to hop in and, and go up there and yeah, explore for right, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes people get hung up a little bit on well, my my significant other, they're not doing any of it. They're not into it yet. My husband, he, I mean. He can't even tell you where any of our properties are, probably. <laughs> I mean, they don't have to be involved in the business of it, but to have their support is the biggest thing. They don't have to have an interest in it. I mean, you don't see me out there, you know, milking cows every day, but I'm still supportive of <laughs> the farm business. So it goes both ways. But if anyone listening has a significant other that's not, doesn't want to do the social media or doesn't want to analyze deals or doesn't want to go look at properties, that's okay. But it's very important to have their support and that they're okay with you going onto this journey and doing that. Yeah. And, you know, especially when we started looking at the mountains and stuff, because just like me, there's that emotional aspect to it too, you know, of, of that property or cabin in the mountains, you know, that's, that kind of appeals to to her as well. So. Do you want, let's go on. Uh, so what happens next after the Smoky Mountains deal, your first one there? Yeah. So like I said, we came back again, this was right after, right after Thanksgiving. And I started looking at properties on the MLS daily. And again, I, I just, I had that real big mental roadblock of putting an offer in over list. And so I kind of just started scouring listings that had been on the market for a couple of weeks or a few weeks, just with thinking, hey, you know, maybe maybe I'll have a better chance of kind of finding a deal on that. And that was kind of the strategy that I developed. And it worked for that first deal. You know, I submitted an offer, 50000 below list, and, and they accepted. And I guess a lot of it's a bit of luck in that, you know, when I got that one under contract, the seller, their family actually owned the two adjacent cabins and they were looking to sell those as well. And so when we closed on that first one, immediately we negotiated and went under contract, you know, off market on the two adjacent ones. And so we ended up getting a really cool three cabins and a, a cul-de-sac at the end of the road on, on five private acres, you know, and it just, it worked out really cool that way. Kale, so now you have your family compound for <laughs> exactly. when you retire, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bring exactly. the whole family, you got three houses and five acres, but I want to know how you knew that though they had these other properties. Did you ask, did they tell you and how did you do it as an off market deal? Yeah. So when well, when we went under contract, I guess my realtor, just through speaking with the listing agent, the listing agent had mentioned to him that uh, they had the other two cabins and they were they were interested in selling those as well. So he brought that to my attention and, uh, you know, we just started looking at them. And initially, I didn't know if I was going to be able to handle it. Again, it, it was a lot, a lot of money, a lot to bite off. And I was, again, I was, I was a bit nervous and that's why I didn't like lock them up right away. Because I was like, man, let me just, let me do this one. Let me take a step-by-step kind of wish I'd done it. Probably would have gotten a better deal doing it all at once. But so he brought it to my attention. Uh, I just kept it in the back of my mind. So after we closed on it, then we opened up discussions with the the seller on the other two and they had a, you know, they had a price in mind. 
we negotiated a bit and uh, got some, you know, negotiated a bit on the price, a bit on some uh, some credits, and uh, ultimately came to you know an agreement and, and locked them in. For your experience doing an off market deal. How would you say that differed from using an agent um, and going through the sales process? And do you have any advice for rookies of things they should know when doing an off-market deal where they don't have an agent representing them? Right. So, and actually to clarify, so we actually did still use, or I still used my agent to do these. So for me, it was it was pretty much a, a seamless process. No real difference. The only difference, I guess, was- So that really I, it was just that- it wasn't listed online. So the agents were still getting commission. Yes, yes. But you didn't have anybody bidding against yeah, Exactly, you. yeah. There was no competition. Yeah. Okay, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it worked out really well that way, being able to do that. Yeah, and I think that's just such a huge advantage of being able to ask sellers or finding out from sellers that they have other properties is that they have you as an easy buyer, that you already closed one property with them. They know you can close the other two. Why go through the hassle of even listing it? Yeah, that's awesome. And But that's such a, an important point, Ash, is that once you can, and you, you hadn't even really done this yet because you were still under contract, but once you can prove to someone that you have the ability to close, it makes it so much easier to get that next deal from them, right? And we see this in Joshua Tree where we invest at, like we just got three more properties under contract from the guy that built the other four houses that we bought that he had built before, right? And he's coming to us first because he knows that we have the funding, we have the ability to close and make quickly. It's a smooth process. He only has to do with one person. So it's like when you can show that you have the ability to close, I think that's what opens up so many more doors and opportunities for you to get more and more deals. So congrats, Gil. That, that's awesome, man. I actually didn't know that that's how you, part of how you scaled so quickly, man. So you you close on on that first short term rental in in February. When do you close on the the second two on property on numbers three and four? So yeah, we closed on the other two in beginning of May. Yeah, beginning of May. Okay, so a couple months later, and then from there you guys continue to purchase, right? So when was the next acquisition after that? So we were under contract on the next one. I think within a few weeks after that. Yeah, just the bug. The bug kind of bites you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the, a few weeks of not having a, not getting a deal feels like an eternity. You know? <laughs> yeah. Crazy <laughs> and, how that changes, right? Right. So yeah, we just closed on that like at the very end of July. So yeah, just a few weeks ago. Okay. So I think one of the questions that our listeners might be thinking is, Kelly, you're doing a great job and you're closing on these properties. How the heck are you affording all of these different purchases. So can you maybe walk us through what the price points were for each of these purchases, both in the long-term and the short-term rental side? And then once we do that, just kind of give us the idea of how you how you funded all of this. So the very first one was the quadplex again. So that one was, so they were asking 488. I got it for 400 and I financed that one with 25% down, just investment loan, uh, like 3.6% interest. And, and I actually, on that first one, uh, important point, I guess also is that I, I actually partnered with my father on that very first one, uh, that quadplex, which was kind of as like a safety cushion. It's a little more comfortable, obviously doing something like that, where there's somebody else a little more experienced to, to fall back on. So we did that. And then the first cabin was, uh, they were asking 700, we got it for 650 and we actually ended up increasing the price while we were under contract to 660 and having them give back a $10,000 credit uh, at closing just to kind of help with the closing costs a bit. And we did a 10% down second home loan 
on that one, which I, I know you know all about those. And that's for rookies and getting into different markets. I mean, that that's huge, especially for your first one. My goodness, that's an excellent bit of financing to, to take advantage of. And then the second, third, and fourth cabins were all conventional investment loans with 15% down. And as far as, you know, how did I afford them? So like I said, the first one I, I did partner on, so we split it 50-50. I had also, right before COVID really locked things down, I had gotten a HELOC on the single family home investment property that I had. So I was able to pull out a $150,000 HELOC on that property. And so the first cabin I just did uh, with my own funds. The second and third, I actually used the HELOC for pretty much the entire down payment on both of them. And then the fourth one was just uh, from personal savings as well. So the second and third ones are pretty much Ultimately, no money down in that aspect, you know, uh, which is kind of cool that the whole concept of infinite return, right? So, like as I mentioned before, I'm kind of Mr. Frugal. You know, just my whole life, I've been very, very intentional about my finances, the below my means. Just I did very well in keeping track of my finances. So, you know, I've saved for a long, long time. And it was just a matter of now's the time to pull the trigger on making some moves. Kale, I seen this question a lot. Actually, I think when Tony and I were doing rookie replies, it came up as a question not too long ago when we were going through them. As someone wanted to know, how does it work with the line of credit? So can you explain how you're paying your line of credit back? Yeah, with the line of credit. So again, this is on investment property. And like, honestly, this, this is kind of fun. This was actually the last HELOC that they approved before they stopped offering HELOCs because of COVID. <laughs> So I like, I literally got the application in two days, I think, before they cut it off for investment properties. And so we got the, the HELOC approved. And as in terms of paying it off, it's uh, interest only for 10 years. So, you know, you of course can pay the, the principal down as you want, uh, but otherwise it's just an interest only loan. So it's it's like a checkbook almost. You can write a check, you can wire money, you can use a debit card from the account. But, uh, you know, it's not like a cash out refi where you're taking all those funds and you're paying the interest and everything on those funds right away. You only pay for what you use. And if when you pay it back, just like a credit card almost, you know, you don't pay interest on that, those funds anymore. So those funds you are using for down payments, you said you've used them for a down payment on a property? Yeah. So I used, uh, I ma- yeah, you maxed it out and used it for the down payment on two of the cabins. Okay. And can you explain how you're paying that back, how you work it into your numbers to pay that line of credit? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, in my analysis, you know, yeah, I just factored in that additional interest cost for what I was going to be paying uh, back on that HELOC from from those cabins. So, yeah, I I added that into my my analysis on the front end. Yeah. And that's great that you use that as a tool because I think people get caught up on, well, I have a mortgage, so my property is paying that mortgage. Well, I don't want to have to personally pay back my line of credit. Well, you don't. You work that into your numbers so that your property is paying back your mortgage and paying back your line of credit. So you run the numbers to make sure the deal will still work for you with both of those loan payments. And as you grow and get into even commercial real estate, there's so many different ways to do creative financing where you may have a mortgage, you may have a private money lender, you may have a HELOC, <laughs> and you may have a partner, you know, all these different things. But you just 
really the best thing about real estate is that there's so many different ways to actually purchase a deal, but you just have to make sure that everything still works when you run your numbers, even with lenders like, oh my gosh, this hard money lender wants to charge me 10%, but a bank would give me 4%. But if you can't get bank financing and hard money lender is your only option, if the deal still works and the numbers are still great, then it's worth paying that 10% than never getting the deal at all. So thank you for explaining that, Kale, is the, the line of credit and how you put it into your numbers to, to pay it back. Yeah. And one thing I forgot to mention, actually, too, is actually on the fourth one for the down payment, I actually took out a, a 401k loan for that down payment. And I had the funds, but they were they were in a stock brokerage account and I didn't want to realize those short term capital gains. So I, I took out the 401k loan and that's very similar to the HELOC almost uh, just in the sense of, you know, you have a... a a set payment. And in that regard, it comes directly out of your paycheck with your W-2. But, you know, again, you just factor in those numbers into your analysis. So your property's paying for it. Yeah. Awesome breakdown, Kale, of, of how you're using these kind of creative financing options. Because I think we have to remember that a lot of people in the audience are at varying stages of their real estate investing career. Like I was talking to someone the other day and he was like, Tony, like if I want to go get a loan for a house, like who do I even go talk to? Like, do I call my accountants for that? You know? And it's, it's like there's so many people who have this perception of real estate that they don't understand that there are different ways to kind of get the deal done. So love that you're you're using all these different kind of creative approaches to make this happen. So Kale, you're obviously killing it, right? You're crushing it. You're moving super fast. But it's like you you put your head down, you look up, and now you've got all these units that you have to manage, right? And you mentioned at the top of the show that you're a family man. You've got a wife, children. You've got a W-2 how the heck are you making time for all of these properties that you're self-managing, but still kind of keeping the rest of your life in somewhat of a balance? Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm not going to say it's easy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it all goes back to the discipline and, and intentionality. I touched on earlier that, you know, I've always been really, really disciplined and intentional with my finances, not necessarily with having a, a set goal in mind, but just doing what seemed right, what was kind of common sense of how to deal with your finances properly. And that's just kind of how I am with everything. I mean, so when we had our, our youngest, uh, it was almost two, I had to just flip my schedule literally 180 degrees to just manage things. You know, I, I, I like going to the gym. I like staying fit. And when he was born, I couldn't do that in the evenings anymore. So I, the only way to do it was I'd have to get up in the morning. So I kind of changed my schedule. I'm not a morning person, still not, but I, by force of nature, I get up now at you know, quarter to five in the morning and do some meditations and head off to the gym and, and come back before work and get all that stuff cleared out. Then I do my, my W-2 job. And then, uh, you know, in the evenings and everything, that's that's where we're trying to take care of any of the things with the, the rentals. Even this week, I've had some, we got a turnover of one of the long-term tenants um, at the local property. And so I've been meeting contractors out here to take care of some painting and stuff like that after work. So it's, again, it's being, being disciplined with your time scheduling. I mean, time management, you know, is big for me as well. So I use a calendar. I mean, if I set appointments and that's how I really keep track of things. But if you want something bad enough, you're going to make the time, right? That That's kind of my, my motto on it. And so you know, it just, it takes some pain. I mean, like I said, I don't enjoy getting up that early in the morning and going to the gym that <laughs> like that, but it's what I have to do to be able to, to maintain that, that thing that I want to do in my life. 
So yeah, it's that's really it. You know, you just gotta really set your goals and, and stick to it. Kale, I want to follow up on this a little bit. So you're kind of time blocking your day. So you're getting up, you're doing the gym, you're, and then it's work, and then it's family time. What do you want your life to look like? What is your why? What is driving you? Like, what's the end goal? You you said you don't like to get up in the mornings, but you're making time. Why are you building out your day now for the future? What's the future look like yeah, for you? Yeah, the future is having time, right? <laughs> so that that's that's really that's <laughs> yeah. really the goal. I kind of circle back to it again, and, and really because the life changing I think moment for me was when our our youngest was born, and uh, you know we have three kids, but um, the other two are are, are from a, a separate uh, my wife's separate marriage, so he was our first uh, our first together, and so my first child as a baby as well. And so when he was born, it was, it was really a life-changing event. And that's, that was kind of the trigger again, even just for wanting to start this real estate venture, you know, and, and really starting to think of, of the future a lot more. So yeah, the goal ultimately is to, to have time to spend with the, with the family more, you know, to be able to travel. I mean, I love travel. That's a huge passion of mine before being married and the kids, you know, I used to travel a, a lot. So I really want to be able to get back to that with the family and you know to have a better have a better balanced life because you know just being honest i mean it is tough you know the way things are right now it is it is a struggle to try to maintain any type of balance and things and so the ultimate goal is to have a better much better work-life balance have that freedom buy back my time really uh and being able to enjoy these things again uh you know with the family now well cal i think you are on definitely the right path to get there you're doing awesome one last question on this. Are you using any uh, software to manage your long-term and short-term rental properties? Yeah. So mainly for the short-term. So I use Smart B&B, or I guess they just changed their name to Hospitality right now as far as the uh, property management software. And then I use Price Labs for the dynamic pricing. And then for accounting, this is still an area I am not good at, but I, I haphazardly use Stessa. It's a good program. I'm just not good on keeping up to date with it. So <laughs> that's that's an area of improvement for me big time. Uh, but those are the three, the main ones that I use, but hospitality and, uh, and price labs are, I mean, I'm on those daily for the short terms. For the long term, I really don't use anything else than, than Stessa for trying to keep track of, uh, keep track of things. Awesome, Kel. Yeah, I, uh, I love Stessa too. Uh, actually, all the software you use, I, I love all those, man. Like Sessa works great for us. I think when we had one or two properties, but if we started to scale, it's gotten a little more complex and we have partners on some of the deals. So we've recently started transitioning to QuickBooks online, but yeah, Sessa is like a great and it's free. So like, yeah, all the rookies that are listening, if you're looking for like a really easy bookkeeping solution, Sessa is definitely the way to go. And if there are any executives from Sessa, you can just send me like a check or like Venmo or PayPal or something like that afterwards. <laughs> When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout? Up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. You dream of ditching your nine to five and starting your real estate career, but with home prices and interest rates at an all time high, you're not sure how you'll find a worthwhile wholesale deal or a quality rental property. Look, here's an expert secret. You don't have to rely on on market properties to start making money in real estate. You actually can find off market properties with homeowners who are motivated to sell right from your phone tablet, or computer with PropStream. PropStream provides data for over 155 million properties nationwide with more than 120 search filters, including pre-foreclosures, pre-probate, and bankruptcy. It helps you quickly find motivated sellers even without MLS access. Now, PropStream offers public record data as well as an MLS sales estimate with over 99% accuracy to help you get the most accurate comps possible. You'll also get lead automation, skip tracing, and marketing tools like emails and postcards to close more deals quickly. They even have a free learning academy to help you get started. Get 50 leads free with their seven-day free trial at propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com slash BP. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But look, you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLCs done right. They'll handle all the state filings, draft your operating agreements, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, which is a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton, over 35 years ago. Now, his son, Ted, is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to CorporateDirect.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Ricky and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. So Kayla, I want to talk a little bit about your, like, I, I want to deep dive into one of your deals. So you have a deal in mind that you can kind of reverse engineer for us? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was kind of struggling and, and thinking of which one to do. I mean, like the quadplex is as great as like the rookie learning experience, but the numbers are a heck of a lot more exciting with the, <laughs> with the cabins. <laughs> you know? Let's do the learning experience. Right, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do the yeah. quadplex. All right. Let me let me just kind of set the table for the listeners here a little bit. So I'll, I'll just ask you like some kind of quick hitting questions and then we'll kind of circle back and, and do a bit more of a deep dive into it. So what market was this property in? So it's uh, a town called Lake Worth Beach in Florida. Lake Worth Beach, beautiful. And we already know the property type. This was a, a fourplex. What was the purchase price? 
400,000. Was there any rehab or anything that, that went into it also, or was it pretty much turnkey? It was pretty much turnkey. We'll get into what it's running for and what your profits are after that, but at least now we know it's a it's a fourplex in in Florida. Uh, you got it for for a little over four hundred. So beautiful. Okay, so tell us how you found this deal. Okay, Kale. so I found it uh, just uh, actually on Zillow. <laughs> Easy yeah, money, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's so funny because you hear so many people say, and you know, it kind of is true sometimes, but it, that it's difficult to find a deal on the MLS. Like, what was it about this property that, like, was it sitting for a long time? Was there something about it that maybe we're turning off other potential investors? Or is that city that you're in just not super competitive? Like, why were you able to find it so easily just kind of off the MLS? Right. Yeah. So, again, I, I was scouring MLS daily. So I was just, I was really in tune with the market and what was coming online. And then I think the timing, again, was was probably on my side, just in the fact that, you know, this was, it came on the market, like, right before covid and then, you know, of course, COVID hits and, you know, I think that that kind of changed things a lot for uh, the sellers. So, yeah, it was just it was just, again, being diligent about checking the, the MLS and Zillow, knowing the market and uh, a little bit of luck with the timing, I think. Got it. Was there any negotiation on the purchase price? No, <laughs> you know, I honestly wasn't them expecting them to accept the offer. It was one of those things where I was just going through the motion of sending out the offer again and they came back and said, okay. So I was like, all right. <laughs> so you, you find this deal in the MLS, you, you get under contract for slightly less than asking, whatever you go through your whole kind of escrow period, right? Everything's getting tidied up. But then the day comes, Kale, where you actually close, right? You sign all the paperwork, they hand you the keys. They say, Kale, this building is now yours. What the heck happens from there, right? Like you had never been a landlord before. You had never managed tenants before. Like, what do you do to kind of get yourself up and running? Right. Yeah. First thing I did actually was uh, go in and meet the tenants. You know, I went over there and because and, so we had um, some of the leases we're going to be turning over uh, in a short period as well. But, you know, I went to meet the tenants, take another look at the, the units and stuff like that, see if they were going to renew their leases. Because, you know, again, first investor, first time investor, like I was panicked about vacancy. Like that just scared the daylights out of me, you know, of having a, even a day of vacancy. I was like, oh my gosh, we got leases turning over. I got to get this rented out. So yeah, I want to see if they're going to, they were going to renew their leases or not. And then, uh, yeah, from there it was just kind of planning because like I said, I knew that some of those leases were going to turn over. And so I just started getting things ready to put them on the market, researching the rental rates more and, and, getting things ready. So kind of talk us through that process, Kale, of meeting your tenants for the first time, right? Like, you know, I've only had a small number of, of long-term rentals and like, I have no idea what those tenants even look like because I, they're out of state, I had a property manager, right? So like when you first get this property, what do you do? Do you say, Hey, I'm Kale. Like if your toilet breaks, give me a call. Like, like, what is that? What does that conversation look like? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, well, the funny thing is actually, is that I, I actually, when I went over there to meet against four units, uh, I only ended up actually getting to meet one one, you know, the other three weren't home at the time. So I had actually, I had prepared even like a little letter that I, I had just in case they weren't home. And I just typed out, yeah, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm the new owner. Here's the, just to summarize, you know, here's your current lease terms. You know, let me know if you plan on renewing your lease, uh, you know, check yes or no type thing. And so, you know, so I left that for the ones that weren't home. And the, then the one guy that I did meet, it's actually a pretty cool guy. And, you know, Ended up staying there and chatting with him for for quite a bit, and uh, learned actually I learned a lot about the property from him, uh, which was really interesting. You know, that's kind of a little key key takeaway there for people is, yeah, I mean, talk to your tenants, especially if they've been there for a while. They're going to tell you a heck of a lot more about your property than 
than anybody else. You know, probably some things you don't want to know too, but. <laughs> <laughs> so how many tenants end up not renewing their lease? So they've actually all turned over, which has worked out really well. Rents were below market. And so we immediately were looking to, to raise the rent. So in that, actually in that letter that I had, I put that, you know, if you are going to renew your lease, this is what the new, the new rent is going to be um, as well. And they were pretty, pretty significant jumps, you know, so I guess I'm not surprised that they, <laughs> they didn't renew them, you know. So talk us through your journey then, Kale, of, you know, marketing for new tenants, screening those tenants, getting the units filled. This is your first time doing it. Like, how are you educating yourself? What mistakes did you make along the way? What lessons were learned? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the first one was a fun one. So, I mean, I, I marketed them just on, uh, well, I marketed out Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist. And I think I even used Zillow even to market them. Most of the hits came from Facebook Marketplace though, and that's almost like exclusively what I use now whenever I have to, to rent out the long terms. And so the first tenant that we ended up getting in, I had good intentions of doing the background checks and, and everything. And this tenant had a story of why the background check wasn't working, wasn't going through. And you know, again, like I said, I was just like, man, I don't want to have any vacancy. Like, I don't know, she seems kind of nice. And so we broke the rule, right? Which is like red flag number one, never, never break your rules, right? You set them for a reason. <laughs> and so we let it slide, you know, that the background check wasn't coming through and, and, uh, she moved in and paid the rent, no issues for the first couple months. And then I started getting complaints from the other tenants of like, they were banging on their on their door at 3 a.m. These domestic disturbances, police getting called to the property. She actually got arrested twice on the property, and so by the, the when I found out about you know, and I, I didn't find out about these arrests and all these things until most of it had already happened. And then I found out about this all and, and tried talking with her and said, "Hey, you know, we got to we got to do something. Uh, this is not <laughs> this is not working." And she actually just kind of disappeared for a couple of weeks. Like I couldn't reach her, couldn't, couldn't do anything. And so I was like, all right, we're going to have to you know, move forward with an eviction. And so I put the notice on the door, still trying to reach her, couldn't, couldn't find out anything. And then like a week later, actually, one of the other tenants called me and it's like, hey, uh, she just packed up her stuff and left and gave me the key. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, well. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, saved me a lot of trouble there. So, but, but Ashley, you, you, you talk about this all the time too, right? Is that sometimes just putting that notice up there is enough to spur action to get them to leave on their own, right? Or to pay either right. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So she left and uh, we just, you know, we rented it out actually like a couple of weeks later and still maintained the zero vacancy. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. So, so what are the units renting for now, Kale? And what kind of profits do you typically see from a, a cash flow perspective? Yeah. So, uh, so the two one bedrooms, they were currently renting for 1100. We're actually turning one of them over right now and, and raising the rent to 1150 on that one. The studio we rent for 900, the two bedroom when it was a term, we uh, were renting it for 1395 but we converted that to the short term in March of this year. And now it is grossing four to 5,000 a month. Jeez. Yeah. That is fantastic. 
Like that, that's a fantastic business model, right? It's to, it's so funny because I was literally looking at, uh, fourplexes in my, like in the Florida area, like last week with the goal of Airbnb, all of them out. So like, what a tremendous way to take this property, this unit that would have been grossing what, like $1,300 and you're like three Xing that by turning it into an Airbnb. So that one property by itself is now doing as much as almost all, or that one unit by itself is doing as much as like the whole thing was before. Right. Exactly. So man, what a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic first deal for you, Gail. I guess any, any other like lessons learned that you just want to share with the, with the rookies that might be helpful for those trying to get that first deal done? Yeah. Just, I mean, don't stop with the education, you know, and always look for, for cost saving strategies. I mean, especially with the long-term rentals where typically, I mean, the margins are a lot slimmer than, than with the short terms, you know? So yeah, when, when we first got this, I was like digging into every little thing of how can I reduce expenses, you know, shopping out, pest control, lawn care. We even added, uh, you know, this is South Florida. So hurricanes, of course, you know, that's a big thing and insurance is crazy expensive. So we even added some additional hurricane straps on the roof, which cut our insurance almost in half. One key item I took away actually from a, an online real estate seminar I took was, uh, uh, it's called RUBS, Ratio Utility Billing System, where if you don't have separate water meters or electric meters or, or whatever on your property, just a method of separating those expenses and still passing them on to the tenants. Because before the, the owner was paying all the, the water, there's only one water meter. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And so as the leases were, were rolling over, I built it into each of the leases that, you know, they pay for a certain percentage of the water. And that, that $50 seminar saved us, uh, you know, like over 3000 a year in a water bill. So just keep educating, keep, keep learning and look for ways to, to cut costs, you know. What was the name of that uh, program again, that website? So this was actually through uh, Brad Sumrock. No, I meant like the utility splitting. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rubs, uh, rubs, R-U-B-S, ratio, ratio okay. utility billing system. And we'll uh, put that into the show notes for you guys at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 121 if you guys want to check out that link. Well, thank you, Cal. That Even just that, I'm sure there's going to be somebody else that's going to be saying just from listening to that one podcast yeah. episode, <laughs> I got to learn about that. So I'm going to take us to our rookie request line. Anybody can call in at one 5 rookie and leave a voicemail for Tony and I, and we will pick uh, your question to be on the show possibly. And today we have a question for Cal. Cal, are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. Today's question comes from Mario. Hi, my name is Mario. I'm out in Nevada and I'm trying to get a loan for a vacation rental and having a hard time finding a bank that will accept short-term rental income as income. If you could please help me out with that, that would be awesome. Thanks. Yeah, so that's a very good question. So it can be a couple things and it depends, you know, where they're at. If you've, well, I guess the first thing would be find the right lender, you know, so talk to lenders that are specifically into lending for the short-term rental market, because yeah, a lot of the conventional lenders who aren't in tune with the short-term rentals are going to be a lot more risk averse, I think when it comes to that, but there's plenty of lenders out there too, who uh, specialize in short-term rental financing. And of course, they're going to be a lot more, uh, a lot more in tune with that. The second thing would be, you know, how long have you had that income? And if you have... If it's less than a year and you don't have it on a tax return, then 
it is going to be harder because even those lenders who are specific short-term rental lenders aren't going to qualify that income either, right? So yeah, you just got to really shop around for the lender. If you need to wait, you might have to wait until you can get it on a tax return. The third part, I think really, it comes down to the appraisal as well. And this is where being in a, a really good vacation rental market can help because you know when they do the appraisal, they're not only appraising the value of the property, they're appraising the rental value of it as well as a long-term rental, so to speak. So if the appraised rental income as a long-term is sufficient, then you know that can help offset the the expenses and, and help with your DTI as well. Yeah, great advice, Kel. Like they're they're like you said, there are companies that specialize in short-term rental lending. Um, Host Financial is one. Vizio Lending is another one. I think there's one called Lend Simply. Like there's a few more of these like STR specific lenders that are starting to pop up, which is really cool because like if you look in like the apartment space. There are lenders that specialize in like big multifamily, right? But we haven't quite seen that infrastructure being built out yet for short-term rentals. But we're we're slowly starting to see more and more of those lenders kind of coming online that can underwrite a property based on its projected short-term rental income, but not necessarily just the the long-term rental. So awesome, man. Yeah, and and uh, just like you mentioned, the host and Vizio. I mean, yeah, those are great options too, where they don't necessarily factor in the debt to income. You know, you may pay a higher or higher percentage. But you have that benefit of, uh, of not being tied into that DTI. And, you, and you know, it, it maybe you pay a higher, higher interest rate for a couple of years and you can kind of refinance out later after you've shown that this property is producing a certain number of income. So lots of options there. Great advice, though, Kale. I want to take us into our Ricky Rockstar. And today's Ricky Rockstar is actually a previous guest of the Real Estate Ricky podcast, Kevin Christensen, who is on episode 51 as our Ricky Rockstar for today. And Kevin, just for you all, is super active in the Real Estate Ricky Facebook group. He's one of the, the guys that provide more value than anybody else in that group, just always kind of giving back to that community. But Kevin met Micah in the Real Estate Ricky Facebook group, and they purchased their first deal together in sunny Florida. And their plan is to use that as a short-term rental. Um, it's a five-bedroom, four-and-a-half bath with a pool, 4,000 square feet, and they got it for $45,000 under asking price in today's market. They're saying that it only needs about 15K in renovations for it to be ready to get furnished. So major shout out to you, Chris, or to you, Kevin, and to uh, to Micah as well. That's awesome. And I had seen Kevin post that and he had put in there how many connections he have made into that group meeting with people. And I'm glad he found a partner out of it. Uh, super awesome. So if you guys aren't already, join the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group uh, and meet and connect with like-minded individuals. Well, Cal, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really awesome. And congratulations on all of your success and more to come. Can you please tell everybody where they can reach out to you and find some more information about you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, just Kale Bellini. Like I said, Instagram, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that great on that. But uh, yeah, we did just start a page for our properties as well, which it's uh, MTN, like Mountain 2C cabins and cottages with uh, underscore between each word. So MTN, Mountain to Sea, cabins and cottages with underscore. That's our property or our business Instagram page. We're working on getting a Facebook page for the properties and a website and all that stuff. But like I said, I'm a little behind on the social media. So yeah, reach out to me on Facebook, uh, the Bigger Pockets Forum, Rookie Podcast Forum. I'm in there. So yeah, you know, reach out. I'll be happy to connect. And we'll link all of uh, that information of how to reach out to Kale in the show notes at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 121. 
So one other thing I just wanted to mention too, and, and especially for people who say there's not time or, you know, I have a family or it's easy to make excuses for a lot of things to not take action. But, you know, one thing I want to bring up is that, you know, like I, I'm married, have three kids, uh, but we, we still house hack. I've house hacked since, since college. I've, I've actually never lived alone. And so, you know, it may seem kind of weird, you know, to be a full family and, and still house hack, but I mean, we do it. It works out pretty well. And I mean, just that alone brings in, you know, nine, ten thousand $10,000 a year for, for doing almost nothing. So, you know, I just encourage people to, to think outside the box a little bit and maybe step outside your comfort zone even and, and looking at ways to, you know, generate additional income and, and really, you know, help you in your, in your investing journey. Well, Cal, thank you so much. It's really been great. My name is Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And thank you guys for joining us today. We will have another episode on Saturday, a rookie reply. We'll see you guys then. Braving the real estate journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers correctly? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if I lose my job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. That's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head over to biggerpockets.com slash enroll me today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enroll me. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.